This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Let's pray, shall we? Jesus, we love reminding ourselves that you've conquered sin, that you've conquered death, that you've been victorious. And Lord, that you uh, have raised us, that you've seated us with you in the heavenly places. And so, Father, I pray that you get our eyes up to that level this morning. You'd remind us of what you've done and who you are, and in turn, who you've made us to be also. It's in your beautiful, precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, welcome. My name is Ryan Paulson. I'm the lead pastor here, and my wife, Kelly, and I um, had an absolute parent fail a few Christmases ago. I don't know if you've, uh, as a parent, you've been there, but we had a ton of buildup to this present that we were getting our son. He'd seen these ATVs at the park and other kids riding the ATVs, and we're not really in that um, tax bracket to get an ATV for our four-year-old, but um, we decided we'd be a little bit creative, and so we uh, looked on Craigslist, and we found um, a deal that was almost too good to be true. And so I went, and I bought this ATV. And we are uh, getting excited for Christmas time. We, we wrap it up. We have it waiting. And we're sort of building it up with our son, Ethan. And it doesn't take a whole lot to build things up with him. So he was excited Christmas morning. He walked out and um, opened a bunch of other presents. And then we busted this one out last. You know parents do that sometimes. Like, oh, boom, right? And yes. And he's so excited. And, and he's just jumping around. And he says, Daddy, can I go, can I go ride it outside? absolutely, son. Like, let's go. Let's go ride it. So in his Christmas PJs, he gets out there, and in the backyard, he's just motoring around um, for, for about a minute and a half. And then it just pff, died. So we thought, well, um, the, we just must not have gotten a, a full charge on that bad boy, so let's charge it up. We'll eat some breakfast, and then after that, you can go and, and ride it again. And so he said, oh, okay, okay. He went and, and rode it again for um, about a minute and a half around the backyard, and then an epic meltdown ensued in my household. I don't know if you've ever been a part of those, but as a dad, you're just like, oh, I wish I could rewind and either not get it or get a new one or test it beforehand, right? But, but neither one of those were going to happen. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in life, though, where the batteries just sort of went out, <laughs> or they just sort of, sort of dried up, and, and it was hard to get a charge. It was hard to find that joy. It was hard to find that excitement. You know what's interesting? We've been able to solve that problem for for our bodies in many ways. I mean, you can go to the grocery store and you can get a five-hour energy drink or a rock star soda, or or you can go get some Christian crack down at our coffee shop, right, and um, get some caffeine rolling. I mean, you you can, right? We've, We've solved that problem for our bodies in many ways but we haven't been able to solve it for our soul. We haven't been able to solve it for our soul. And it seems like you can go down sort of your Amazon list and look at all sorts of self-help books and you can look at all sorts of positive thinking and yet it seems at times, doesn't it, that the batteries of life just sort of dry out and run out. Maybe it's just me. But it seems like that can be a fleeting endeavor to step into the perceive, at least what we perceive as the joy that we were created and long to walk in. 
That's really interesting is that followers of Jesus for the last 2,000 years have claimed we've got, a, we've got a secret source of power. They've claimed we, we, we sort of, we've stepped into, we know there, there's a, a secret source of power, not just for the body and not just for the mind, but, but for the, the human soul, something that charges us up. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul writes it to the church at Philippi. This is one of the letters he writes from jail. And writing to this church at Philippi, it's called Philippians in our Bible, this letter, he says this. He says, that I might know him. And he's talking here about Jesus. This whole section of this letter is about um, the absolute wonder and awe of knowing Christ. And he goes, all right, so that I might know him and that I might know the, what's the word? Power of the resurrection. Now, this was written about 30 years after Christ went to the cross, died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and walked out three days later. But, but before, and I know you're sitting there, well, 30 years, a lot could happen in 30 years, Ryan. And, and while I'm well aware of that, what I would propose to you about the resurrection is that from the, the very day Christ rose, the early Christians' drum that they beat was, our Savior has conquered sin and conquered death. So yes, Paul writes it 30 years later, and yes, we're talking about it 2,000 years later, but I want to propose to you that for every time in between, this has been the message of the church. To the point where those who saw this happen, they, they, they saw Jesus die on a cross and they met him after he'd risen from the dead. 10 out of his 11 disciples died for that claim. Now, now you and I will go, well, well, a lot of people die for a false belief. True, 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 true. I, I'm not going to argue with you there. But what I will propose to you is they weren't dying for a belief. They're dying for something they saw happen. Big difference. Big difference. And Paul's claim here is the same claim that the church made for the first 2,000 years of its existence and for the next 2,000. It will claim the same thing. There's power in the fact that Jesus walks out of the grave. Listen to the way that the, one of the early preachers of the church, the Apostle Peter, he says it like this. He says, you killed, speaking of Jesus, the author of life. Not going to make you a lot of friends, is it? I mean, that's not like the opening sermon, you, opening line of your sermon. You killed the author of life. He says, whom God raised from the dead. Of this, we are witnesses. We saw it with our own eyes. So here's how I want to say it this morning, because Paul's going to say there is power in the resurrection. Here's the way I'd like us to look at it this morning, is this, that the empty tomb, the empty tomb has the power to create a full life. The empty tomb has the power to create a full life. In fact, that word power that Paul uses there is the word in the Greek, the original language, it's the word dynamin. It's where we get our English word. Anyone? Dynamite, right? So picture driving up I-70 and then finally widening the roads up there, right? And they drill holes and they sink dynamite down in and they blast the side of the mountain away. Paul goes, okay, okay, okay. That's the same type of power if you're a follower of Jesus that lives in you. 
same type of power that lives in you. It literally means um, ability or strength, or you could translate it energy, that there's an energy source that followers of Jesus know. It's called the resurrection. And resurrection power, it blows the stone away from the tomb, and it has the potential to blow the top off of your life. It absolutely does. Uh, a few uh, months ago, we, we played the game that many of us play where we switch cable every few years, right? Because they don't want to offer us the best deal. So it's like, well, I'm going to go to a different provider then. And so I, I did that. And, and of course, I was having trouble with my new provider. And so I waited on, on the phone for about a half hour. And when I finally got to somebody um, who was living, uh, they said to me, uh, hi, Mr. Paulson, thanks for waiting. I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't know I had options, right? Um, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for waiting. Um, we're just going to ask a few questions before we get going here. Is your cable box plugged in? <clears throat> and I'm like, excuse me while I scream into a pillow, okay? Because I didn't wait here for a half hour not knowing if I'm plugged in or not. I, that was step one. Thank you very much. I know how to turn on a cable box, right? And, and so here's, I don't want to insult your intelligence today, but I do want to ask you, are, are you plugged into this power? This, this resurrection power that Paul talks about in the book of Philippians, that early Christians died for. They were so convinced of it that they said, you can take our life, that's fine. That's fine. But we will not recant what we believe to be true about Jesus. And in Philippians chapter three, Paul um, lays out for us some of the things that provide the power that he talks about in the resurrection. So if you have a Bible, just turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me. If you have your phone, you can click there, flip there, swipe there, however you want to get there. Because Paul's going to tell us why the resurrection has such beautiful power. Starting in verse 4, he's sort of sharing with, uh, with us his testimony about the way he used to think about God. And now in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, the way that he, he now thinks about God. Verse four, here's what he says. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's gonna beat his chest a little bit here and say, listen, you guys, I've, I've nailed it. Anyone thinks he has confidence? I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here's what Paul says. I played the religious game faultlessly. I nailed it. Like, I, I didn't just nail it, but like, look at my report card. I got all A's and I graduated summa cum laude. I, I did it. I nailed it. But it's relating to God on a basis that God isn't really interested in being related to on. See, I don't know about you, but I, I think in a room this size with this many people, there's maybe a lot of folks in here who that's the way we relate to God. We, we think God has this checklist, and if we can tick enough of the boxes and do enough of the right things, then he's going to say, Man, Paulson, I'm really impressed with you today. Like, you just, you nailed, you stuck the dismount. 
beautiful. And what Paul says is, no, 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 no. You may, you may have thought this in your head. Well, well, I am, quote, good enough, or I'm a good person. That's where Paul's living, man. He's living in the, I'm good enough. I'm a good person. Look at me in relationship to other people. And you relate to that. can relate to that feeling of trying to play the religious game and thinking you're doing it wonderfully and yet getting to the point in your life where you go, it's just not living up to what it billed as it would deliver. It won't deliver. It doesn't fill me with joy. There's got to be more. And here's what Paul says the more is. He says, but whatever, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, however I nailed it in this religious game I was playing, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, what's the word? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So here, if I, could, if I could summarize it in a nutshell, Paul says there's something better than playing the religious game, and that something better is simply knowing Jesus. And that is the power of the resurrection. Part of the power of the resurrection is that relationship is greater than religion. And if throughout the history of the world, people have wrestled with how do we relate to God, or the gods in many cases, There have been a few threads that have woven themselves throughout all of history as far as what people think God wants from them or what God is like. People have often viewed God or the gods as temperamental, volatile, and angry. Second thing is that you must appease these gods. You've got to make them happy. Uh, The different gods have different hoops, and you've got to jump through them. And if you do this right, if you jump through them right, then they will reward you. They'll reward you with rain. They'll reward you with sun. They'll reward you with um, babies. They'll reward you. There's a ton of different systems. But but at their core, that's what people were saying. And notice how Paul throws an absolute wrench in the cogs of that religious machine. He says, no, 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 no. It's not about religion. It's not about performance. It's not about the way we can check all the boxes and do all the things God wants us to do. It's about what God has done in order to make us right with him. That's what it's about. That that, that relationship is better than religion. And Paul's claim is this, that at the center of the universe, there is a being who does not want you to climb a ladder to get up to him and perform a to-do list. But there is a being at the center of the universe who is inviting you to join his dance of love and joy. That's what he's saying. So the performance for Paul is done. So if you feel like you have to perform for God, this message is for you. The power of the resurrection said, God doesn't want your performance. He wants relationship. And you know this is true. You can either perform for somebody or you can walk with them. But if you feel like you have to be on stage for God or for anybody else, you can't be real, can you? And what Paul says is God doesn't want you with the mask on, performing and doing the little ditty you think he wants you to do. He wants, will you look up at me for just a moment? You. That's what he wants. He wants you. Plain and 
simple. And at the core of the resurrection is an invitation to relationship. And if we miss that, we miss it all. We miss it all. He goes on, he goes on to say, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I've lost all things. And I count them as rubbish, as, as garbage, in order that I might gain Christ and that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So here's what Paul says. It's simply by faith that I've made, been made right with God. That word, um, that word here, righteous, it literally means to be made right, to, to be face to face with. The route I take to and from work, um, imagine this in Colorado, I know, but um, had some co- construction, some road work being done on it lately. Ever been there? No? Okay, thank you. Um, and so they, they wouldn't put the signs up, though. I'm like, are you kidding me? How hard is it to put a sign up, road closed at the end of this road here? Road closed, don't go this way, Paulson. Like, but they didn't. So I would get to the end of this road, have to do a U-turn and go back. And I did this for about three days in a row. And finally, you're not getting me today. I'm nobody's fool. Well, I was your fool for the first three days. But not today, it stops, right? And I think a lot of us feel that way with God. See, righteousness means there's no road closures. There's no construction left to be done. The bridge to God has been completed, and the way you walk into it, the way you get on that robe, Paul says, is simply by faith. Now, you've got to understand here. You've got to understand. Paul's a shady character. I mean, he's, he's, he's commissioned the killing of people. He's commissioned the beating of people. He would say, I am the worst of all sinners. But he says, it's simply by faith that I was made right with God. And this, friends, is the power, the dynamite of the resurrection, is that not only is relationship greater than religion, but grace is greater than your guilt. Grace is greater than your guilt. And after Jesus has conquered death and risen from the grave, one of the first things he does is he goes and he meets his friend Peter. And Peter has been a disciple of Jesus. He's been a follower of Jesus for years. But in Jesus' moment of need, his, his, his most significant need, Peter said, I don't even know that guy. And because of that, he took all of his business cards that said disciple of Jesus Christ, and he burned them all, and he cashed them in and said, I'm going back to being a fisherman. And Jesus meets him on the shore of that sea. And he calls him to himself. And, and in, in essence, here's what he says. Peter, 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 your failure does not define you because I conquered death. Your past does not define you, Peter, because I, I took that to the cross and I conquered death and I rose from the grave. Peter, the cross and the resurrection are proof positive that you are not guilty. Listen to the way that Paul says it in the book of Romans. He says that Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses or our sin, was also raised to life for our justification. Now, that is a great word, friends, a great word, because what it means is that because Jesus paid the penalty for your sin on the cross and walked out of the grave, that you've been made right with God, that his grace is greater than your guilt. And I know what you're thinking. 
You're going, hey, listen, you don't know, you don't know me, Paulson. You don't know what I've done, and you don't know where I've been. I don't. I don't. And I don't know how bad it is, and I don't know how shady it is, and I don't know how dark it is. I only know how much Jesus paid for you. And the scriptures say he paid it all. So you bring it. You bring all that baggage to the cross. And he says, as much as it is, my grace is still sufficient for you. And friends, look up at me for a moment. If the grave is still empty, his grace is still sufficient. If the grave is still empty, and it is, his grace is still sufficient. You can't out-sin it. You can't outrun it. You can't outdo it. It is still enough for you. So I don't know what you've been through, and I don't know what your past life, what your life looks like. I only know that he's enough, that his grace is greater than your guilt. Well, Paul goes on. Listen to what he says. He says this. Still talking about how good it is to know Christ. He says that I might know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection, and that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, this verse 11 is a little bit confusing because at the onset, it sort of looks like Paul's going, well, it's sort of 50-50, right? Like I, I might be resurrected from the dead and I might not. Um, this is sort of a, a technique that some of the writers of scripture would use. But what he does is he invites us into the absolute shock and awe of the fact that you and I, by faith, will be resurrected with Jesus. So he approaches it in humility and essentially throws his hands up in the air and he goes, I, I, I have no idea why or how that's going to happen. I only believe that it's true. I only believe that it's true. Hey, I, I can picture Paul saying, I, I simply can't believe God, you're that good that Jesus, you've purchased my life, you've purchased my redemption, and that I will walk with you, as the psalmist says, in the, in the land of the living. See, that's what resurrection was, is. Resurrection is not the belief that you will go to heaven one day. You know that, right? That's not what the conviction, the belief about the early church had about the resurrection. That's not what it was about. Resurrection is just what it sounds like, that your body will be resurrected, that Jesus will breathe life into your dry bones one day, that you will be resurrected, physical body, material earth. That was the hope of the early followers of Jesus. Not ethereal heaven, but physical resurrection. As the great New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, um, sort of tongue-in-cheek, he says, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. And see, Paul understands that the life of the future, the life Jesus has purchased by his work on the cross, his atoning death, and the life that he raised for the justification that you and I now stand in is presently at work. But he's still in jail, right? I mean, Paul's still in jail. Paul will eventually die for his faith. So how do we reconcile this, this power of the resurrection? And yet, he says, listen, I know I'm going to walk through suffering, and I know it's not going to be fun all the time, and I know it's going to be difficult. Here's what Paul is saying. 
The power of the resurrection is not only a relationship that's greater than religion and a grace that's greater than your guilt, but a promise that's greater than your present. That's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is not that Jesus always improves our circumstances and our situation, but that he seals our destiny. That's the power of the resurrection. I read a while back about this woman who paid $164,000 to live an entire year on a cruise boat. I mean, just parties constantly, food constantly, entertainment constantly. And I think sometimes that's the way we sell, quote-unquote, Jesus. Hey, come to Jesus. Put your faith in him. Hop on the cruise boat. Let's go. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Please don't, please don't mistake being a follower of Jesus for jumping on a cruise boat. It doesn't mean that you're going to live the, the best life now. It doesn't mean that, that it's going to all be skipping through a field and strawberries all the time. It's not, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean this. It does mean that the promise is true and God will be good on it and the promise is greater than your present. That's what it means. That's what it means. That the suffering that we walk in will meet its redeemer. That's what it means. That without the resurrection of Christ, there's no explanation for suffering and pain and trials in this world. But with the resurrection of Christ, what he declares is I'm making all things new. Yes, even that, whatever that is in your life. I've redeemed, I've stepped into, and I've taken upon myself. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, the great pastor, puts it. He says, resurrection takes place in the country of death. This is where God does his greatest work, in our deepest pain. The suffering we walk in has met its redeemer. The fear that we walk in has met its hope. And the death that we will one day experience will be overwhelmed by the life that Jesus has promised. It's the power of the resurrection, friends. It's the power of the resurrection that there's a relationship that's greater than religion. God doesn't want your song and dance. He wants you. That there's a grace that's greater than your guilt. There's nothing you could have done that would outsin his grace. Nothing. Nothing. And that there is a promise. Resurrection, life with God. No more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. But the new order, the new thing that God is doing will one day come. And you and I, by faith, will walk with him in the land of the living. A promise that's greater than our present. I love the way that Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and, and it, this just in newsflash, if you're a follower of Christ today, it does, it does, dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his spirit. You know, that will happen in the end, in the resurrection. But you know what's also fascinating and beautiful is not only that that will happen one day and it will but that it happens that it happens we, we see stories like that all the time around here of people putting their faith in jesus and him speaking life into dead things i'd love for you to hear one of those stories today uh, this is my friend adam coleman he became a follower of jesus here just uh 
uh, a few months ago, within the year, and um, God has just been working on his life, changing his life, and moving in him, and we have his video, his story. I'd love for you to take a look at it here. Will you guys put it up there? Hi, I'm Adam Coleman, uh, husband of Jennifer Coleman, a wonderful woman to whom I've been married for 11 years. Uh, I have two children, Lincoln and Sydney. Uh, religion was kind of more of a formality for me when I was growing up. Uh, it wasn't something that I personally evaluated. I felt I was a good person in my own light without, uh, without needing to repent and dig into scripture and believe that I was born a sinner. One of the things I was most proud of was stopping for people on the side of the road and I had a perspective that I, I couldn't change the world but I could change one person's world. I kind of wanted to defy the notion that I was a sinner and that that was all I could be and in fact I kind of wanted to I wanted to show God that I wasn't a sinner, which is weird because in my mind at the time I didn't believe there was a God, but I wanted to prove that I could be good without God. And around that same time period, uh, I had a very bad emotional fallout in my own life, and I found myself walking along the side of uh, Broadway in the middle of the night. And uh, I was in a very, very bad mental place where I felt like I was done at that point. I didn't want to go on any longer and in my head I, I threw down a, a gauntlet to God saying uh, that uh, now was the time and if he, uh, if he wanted to prove himself to me then, then that was it because I, I wasn't intent on having a next day after that and uh, I'd say within about a minute of me having that unspoken thought in the middle of the night next to a road that had virtually no traffic and certainly no other pedestrians. A car pulled over to the side of the road, uh, rolled down their window, and just asked if I needed anything. And uh, the fact that that happened when it did, based off of what I was asking for and the terms that were in my head, at that point I went from an atheist to an agnostic. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what the higher power looked like for me. I didn't know what... I looked like to him, but at that point in time, I couldn't question it anymore. Well, I started believing in God more and more and understanding God, but um, I kept relying on myself too. I, I had this very, very persistent itch that I was in control and that if the situation was going to get resolved, it was going to be me that resolved it. Um, and that really came to a culmination when uh, I, I was working at a very, very toxic job. Uh, it had cost me my peace, my sanity was costing me my family. I didn't know what else to do. I, I ended up losing the job. In fact, I lost my health to a point where I couldn't leave the house anymore. I couldn't accomplish things and succeed, and that was what I based my merit on. And it wasn't until I was knocked all the way down to absolute zero that I really got to start seeing God more clearly. Uh, my wife has been coming to South for, for a great many years and uh, uh, I would even drop her off South. I would drop my children off here for, for them to go to Sunday school. I wanted to try to show support. I, I would attend and I, I got to come and attend and I got to listen to Ryan preach. I, 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 would, I would just put up and deal with this part that didn't really matter to me and then that part and then that part and the scripture, oh, I didn't want to really hear about that. 
but once once Ryan started tying it into to those greater life lessons, then I got to start to hear God's voice through that. It really captured me. The the actual moment where I started to question Christianity more and I started to believe more in the relevance of it was on a specific reading from Psalms, which is Psalms uh, 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Something that I realized when I heard that verse, and uh, I almost immediately was in tears after hearing it and thinking about it, was I've been plagued for my entire life with feeling like I wasn't quite right, like I was alone, like I just didn't fit, I didn't fit in. And uh, on hearing that, that psalm get read in church, and on believing that I could be made new, that I could be reborn, and that I could be complete, uh, it's changed me ever since. Uh, what I find in my day-to-day -day routine now is just trying to continue building out uh, the clearest picture and understanding I can of who Jesus is and not only what he wants from me, but what he wants from all of us. Uh, understanding that the closer I get to that, the more peace I should inherently have in my soul. And he's also been reminding me that uh, <laughs> whenever I am foolish enough to presume that I'm the one controlling these things, that I'm the one that accomplishes these things. That's when my life gets a bit rockier again, and uh, it also gets harder to see him, too. So I've been learning over the past year of being a Christian uh, what it means to surrender my own ego, which is the biggest thing that would always get between me and God. Uh, it's changed me ever since. Power. power of the resurrection. Power of the resurrection. That's what you just saw. Did you hear that a relationship is greater than religion? A grace that's greater than your guilt, than Adam's guilt, than my guilt, than anything you brought in here today? And a promise that's greater than what you're currently walking in. And you know what, friends? All of us will at one day find ourselves, if you haven't already, at that crossroads. The same crossroads that Paul found himself at. Am I going to continue to work at religion or am I going to have faith? Am I going to be a person that trusts in the grace of God or am I going to try to continue to, to do it on my own? The beautiful thing that's laced throughout this passage is not only relationship is possible with the God of the universe who created you and loved you, but that it's not only possible, but that it's easy. It's just by faith. It simply means turning from your own way and your sin and your check marks of things you think you can do and running to Jesus. And as we sang in grace so glorious, all are welcomed home. See, this, friends, is the power of the resurrection. He took my guilt, I get his grace. He performed my religion, I get 
relationship. He took my present, I get his promise. He took my weakness, I get his strength. He took my despair, I get his joy. He took my wrath, the wrath deserved for me, and I get his mercy. He took the beating I deserved, and I get his raising. He took my pain, I get his victory. He took my punishment, I get his perfection. He took my helplessness, I get his rescue. He took my sin, I get his righteousness. He took my death. And I get his life. This, friends, is the gospel. And I invite you, if you don't know him, to step into that power this morning by faith. By faith. As our worship team comes back up to lead us in one last song, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and, and just to do some business with God this morning. I know there's some in, in this room where you walked in these doors today, maybe for the first time since last year, expecting to hear just sort of the same old things, singing the same old songs, and maybe, just maybe, God is in a very real way pricking your heart. Can I say, don't resist it. Respond to it. Respond to it. Some of you walked in here thinking that, that the divorce you walked through has eliminated you from being able to walk with God. Can I say his grace is greater than your guilt? The things that are in your past, his grace is greater than your guilt. Some of you walk in here this morning and you got bad news from the doctor or you have just hard things going on in your family. Can I speak resurrection over you? His promise is greater than your present. His promise is greater than your present that you will by faith be raised with him to walk with him in the land of the living. And that for those of you who come in this morning not knowing Jesus, may I invite you to put your faith in him right now. To surrender to his love that's present, that's beckoning you, that's wooing you and inviting you to surrender, just like Adam did in his wonderful story, to surrender to that invitation for a new heart So Jesus, we come before you this morning and we step into this stream that's been flowing for the past 2,000 years where followers of yours looked at the empty tomb and thought, if, if that tomb is empty, there's no reason my life can't be full. Lord, for those of us that have played the religious game and we've just run out of energy, we turn back to you for relationship. For those of us, who believe our guilt is too much, we run back to you for grace. And for those of us walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we remember that your promise is greater than our present. So we turn to you and our declaration is it's all about you, Jesus. You and you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.